Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. everybody my name is indy and the gentleman next to me is mr jay powell from powell group consulting with this amazing hat and welcome to indie game business and today we have our special friend special guest here larry his last name is not night dive he's the biz dev guy from night dive studio and we're going to be the title of this is how the video game industry has evolved since 2001 I don't know what's going to happen with this conversation. Well, first off, Larry, make sure that you unmute in Discord because yeah. you're still muted there and all of our wonderful fans can't hear you on that side. Um, but yes, and you've been here before. And so once or twice for for space sake, I'm going to say give us the short version of you know what you're doing these days in the industry and we'll skip you know your your how many tell us how you got in and all that other stuff because if you're curious people can go back and, and they can rewind it we've done this before that, but, that's also that's also going to be in my presentation so we'll, we'll get to cover oh, one or the other. yeah 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 it's all good slide deck yeah yeah um so i'm i'm larry cooperman um better known as uh as larry night dive i'm the head of business development for night dive studios um night dive studios pretty well known um we make old things new again um let's see uh we've done um system shock uh quake 2 rise of the triad um turok 3 and star wars dark forces um that's this year's um, I was going to say that's not out yet. No, they're, but they're but they're in development, and we're working on them. So um, I'm I'm counting them. Um, been in this business for 23 years. Um, celebrating or uh, or lamenting that. Um, but 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 you know, before we get to the presentation, Jay, um, I've known you for 20 years. Yeah, I think technically I've been in the industry longer than you have, just yeah, barely. Yeah. But yeah. yes, pretty close. Um, and and I wasn't sure, you know, how to how to how to how to, how I should approach um, greeting you today. So I thought, um, what would the Ramones say? Um, and I, I presume everybody in the audience has watched The Simpsons. So um, let me channel my my any inner Johnny Ramone and say, um, Happy birthday to you, you old bastard. Well, yes, I was going to mention the fact that, you know, it's a special celebration since this week was my birthday. Next week is your birthday. We're, yeah. we're just all going to be grumpy old bastards together today. A, a little bit, uh, a little bit of an age difference. Tiny. Um, so, and so and, I, and I have more hair. 
absolutely absolutely um but between us we come to a statistical average yes so we're exactly good. We're good. exactly we have it covered mm-hmm. yep yep um that that stuff aside um you guys ready for me to to start talking yes and i promise to only try to interrupt every now and then that's it's it's perfectly fine and and if there are questions from the audience you know please feel free to shout them out i'm i'm very much a stream of consciousness kind of guy and, and y'all in the audience keep in mind when larry and i start talking about when we've been doing this for so long we're talking pre-mobile games when shit still had to be in a box and shipped to retail yeah, yeah. we're old all right man so, so, way. so 2023 um probably is going to be remembered for being the year that some really really great games shipped um, Baldur's Gate 3, um, Starfield, Tears of the Kingdom, Diablo, Metroid, um, and dare I say, System Shock. Um, or maybe it'll be remembered as the year that the game industry um, fully went into, into crisis mode. And um, I just have to add a note. I started writing that. I had had written that paragraph um, before the Unity thing. So um, things have only gotten worse. Um, I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to to go in here. Um, uh, I was either going to go with um, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, or my alternative is what the hell is going on? Um, I decided to to settle on the former one, and then I wondered whether kids today still read uh, A Tale of Two Cities. But I digress. So so as Jay said, I'm I'm, I'm celebrating or lamenting a, a career that's. Um, spanned 23 years in the game industry, um, which is roughly a third of my incredibly long life. It was um, it was not my first career, um, but it has been the best. Um, but now looking back and looking forward, I, um, I fear that we're reaching a point where the, the industry is just not sustainable anymore. So, okay, give the short version of my bio. You know, Larry Cooperman, AKA Larry Night Dive, Director of Business Development for Night Dive Studios. Um, as of as of May, um, Night Dive is now a wholly owned subsidiary of of uh, Atari. So we are we are very much um, committed to games as art and uh, and to game preservation and to bringing back the the classic games of of the past. My career um, started in 2000 actually when I uh, I got a newsletter. Um, just one of those random like spam things that you get in your in your inbox um, that uh, that said um, come to work at uh, at Stardock Systems located in beautiful Livonia, Michigan, where it's always sunny and 72 degrees. Um, I should mention this was December of 2000. If you have ever been to Michigan in December, it is not sunny in 72 degrees. So so I wrote back saying um, clearly that there were two different Livonias, uh, the, the one that, that I knew in reality and the one in their fantasy world. And, and surprisingly, um, they asked me if I could come in for an interview, that they were looking for a sales manager, and, and I seemed to fit the bill. Um, came in. Um, I, I started off by saying I, I have another job, and um, I, I couldn't accept that. And... Uh, I walked out thinking, you know, this uh, this might be something that that I'd really want to do. Gave up the uh, the other job, um, accepted position as a business development manager at Stardock. Uh, I think it was sales manager was the original position, and uh, I decided I would try that for a while. Um, that lasted eleven years. Um, 
during the time that I was there, Stardock shipped um, Galactic Civilizations 1, um, Galsiv 2, Sins of a Solar Empire, a um, number of other games. But the um, the first game that I sold for uh, Stardock was The Corporate Machine in, uh, in 2001. And um, we did a deal with uh, Take-Two to become our retail partner. Something that, that Jay alluded to at the beginning of it, um, back in 2001, there was pretty much only retail. Um, and and for, for game developers, I can't tell you what that paradigm shift was like. Um, you're, you, you would work on, on, on a game, developing it, and um, you would have to go and sell it in front of the buyers at places like Electronics Boutique, um, uh, Walmart, um, Best Buy. And, and you'd go into the room and you would you would immediately realize that the people that you were in front of were not gamers. Um, in some cases, they didn't play games. In some cases, and this is based on my, my actual experience, they didn't even like games. Um, they wanted to see forecasts and, and demographic analysis. And and for, for, for many people that just wanted to make and, and sell their games, um, that was out of reach. So so a lot of a lot of cool games. Um, just never made it. If you didn't make it onto the shelves, your your game didn't exist. Back to my personal story. So we uh, we did a deal with uh, Take Two to become our retail distributor for the corporate machine, and it was a, a funny thing. It was something that we had to negotiate through in our contract. Um, Stardock retained the uh, the digital rights. We had a um, a platform um, back then called Drengen. Uh, Drengen.net that let people down buy, download, and um, and recover if needed, um, both software and games. And this was a this was a kind of crazy thing. Um, I don't think Take Two had any objections to it because nobody ever imagined that digital was ever going to amount to to more than a hill of beans. Um, but but so we did that deal and. Um, that was again in 2001. Um, it was a, it was a great deal. It was, it was good for us. And um, I'm proud to say that I still am in contact with and continue to work with um, some of the really good people over at, at take two um, great people in the industry. So, so that was, that was my beginning. Um, uh, and, and, and that was, that was how things start off. And let's just take a look at, at, at what life was like in, um, in 2001. So total game industry revenues were $9.4 billion, which was a, a dramatic increase from the year before when, um, when total revenues were only about $6.6 billion. Um, that was the year that Microsoft introduced the Xbox. Um, Nintendo introduced the GameCube. Sony had introduced the PlayStation 2 the year before, and, and sales uh, for that platform were still going strong. Now, um, Let's fast forward to the, the current um, and talk about, about how things have changed. So 2023 um, industry revenue is on track to hit $334 billion. Um, by 2027, that uh, figure is projected to grow to about $467 billion or almost a half a trillion, um, which is by pretty much anybody's standard, a lot of cheddar. <laughs> So with, uh, with all that money coming in, um, things have got to be going great in the industry, right? Right? 
Um, as, uh, as Corso would say, not so fast, my friend, not so fast. So the way I look at it, there, there are four pillars to the gaming world. Um, developers, publishers, gamers, and media. And um, by media, I include both, you know, what would be considered the, the traditional media um, outlets, you know, places like IGN, PC Gamer, Kotaku, um, as well as streamers, influencers, you know, at, at all. And, and each is important, but let's, uh, let's check on, on how each one is doing. So developers are having a, a really, really rough time. Um, at the end of August, Volition, the studio behind titles like Red Faction, Saints Row, um, was shut down permanently. Descent. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that one after a run, of, a run of 30 years. So Volition actually grew out of the original one was Parallax Software, which was founded in 1993 by Mike Coolis and Matt Toshlog. Um, after making Descent and Descent 2, Matt moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Woo, go blue. And founded Outrage Entertainment while Mike stayed with Parallax, which was renamed to Volition in 1996. Did I cover it, Jay? Yes. Yes. So when I started my career, and again, that was in 2001, I had no idea how to sell video games. So um, the only contact that I had, and you can put contact in quotes, the only contact I had was, um, I knew when I walked around downtown Ann Arbor, I saw a sign for the studio, you know, Outrage Entertainment. So I, I cold called. Um, I ended up speaking to Matt Toshlog, and um, Matt gave me some direction, um, which in fact worked out for me. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. Um, but you I've always to just just real quick. We are so old. You may need to clarify what a cold call is. Oh well, so um, I uh, I I <laughs> I used a, a telephone. Um, that's um, that's one of those things that um, that your your, your dad your, your dad and your grandpa use. I uh, I picked up the telephone and I called um, information that was like um, a poor man's Google. And uh, I asked for the telephone number of Outrage Entertainment, and I got to the front desk, and I kept on persisting. Um, I didn't know anybody there. I mean, I didn't even know to ask for Matt. Um, uh, you know, so I started at the reception desk and worked my way up to the CEO. And it's a lost skill, um, but it's one um, that was that was instrumental in my career. Um. Again, the only reason that I, I even had that contact or, or that, that I knew about them is because I saw their sign. Um, that, that said, you know, getting, getting back on track, um, for me and for, for many of us in the industry, um, the closure of, of Volition was, was really painful. It's, uh, it's, it's a piece of our history that's gone. And it's not just Volition. Um, we've seen layoffs and closures all over the industry. Um, layoffs at, at Gearbox Publishing, which um, I believe is now up for sale again. Um, Ascendant Studios laid off about 45% of, of their workforce. Um, Beamdog, again, um, run by, by a friend of mine and, and a company um, with, with great lore behind it, um, doing the, the remaster of um, Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate. Um, 
they lost 26 employees. And it's not just it's not just in the in the in the PC or the or the console gaming space. Um, something that may may have flown beneath the radar was uh, Niantic laid off 230 employees this year. Um, they had previously laid off 90, and they uh, they canceled their uh, NBA and Marvel games. Niantic being the the Pokemon Go company. So those are just the, the recent headlines. And in the cases of, of Ascendant and Beef Dogs, uh, Beam Dog. The studio had just shipped games. So um, Ascendant had just shipped um, Immortals of Avium and, um, and Beamdog had just um, gotten um, Mythforce out of, uh, out of early access. Um, and the games, I guess, did not meet projections. Um, I, think in the, uh, I think in the industry, um, we have to change. Instead of saying um, the game failed to meet expectations, we need to say our expectations were wrong. Um, so, but 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 people are are losing their jobs, and and not just that, but um, yeah, I worry about the people first. But the history is is disappearing. Um, I, I'm I'm hoping everybody saw the survey that um, only 13 percent of of games um, that were made more than 10 years ago are still available. Yeah, that was um, scary. You know, and and again, uh, you know, Night Dive, we, we really do our part. Um, we don't just do games that that you know are um, are, are commercially viable. Um, we try to try to bring back games that are are important um, for people to know about and important for the history. So, um, so there we are. We're a, a three hundred and thirty plus billion dollar industry. And we cannot guarantee job stability for our most important personnel. It has been a thing at studios that they um, hire on a bunch of people to work on a title. When that title ships, um, a significant portion of that workforce loses their jobs. And when the company, the studio is ready to go back to the next one, some of those people may be rehired. But uh, it's what do we need you for? We already shipped the game. So pretty terrible scenario there. And, um, and that brings us to publishers. So let's start off with, with a definition here. Um, you know, obviously when you say game publishers, companies like Activision Blizzard, um, soon to be a subsidiary of the Microsoft Corporation, um, you know, EA, Ubisoft, Take-Two, Tencent belong there, right? But you also need to include companies like Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. So... Ranking game companies um, by their 2022 revenue, you get number one on the list, Sony, $28.2 billion. Microsoft, $16.2 billion. Um, Tencent, $13.9 billion. Nintendo, $13.8 billion. Activision Blizzard, $7.4 billion. EA, $7 billion. Epic, $5.8 billion. Take-Two, $3.5 billion. Uh, Bandai Namco, $3.1 billion, and Ubisoft at uh, $2.5 billion. So it, it's easy for people um, outside the industry to, to look at the layoffs of, of, uh, of, of developers, to look at, at games getting canceled, and to go, okay, publishers, bad, bad publishers. Except um, we all like AAA titles, right? We like our consoles, right? Um, without publishers, you don't get those things. 
And and when layoffs occur, there's something that that I ask people to remember. Um, the organization that is now laying people off is the same organization that hired those people in the first place. Okay. And um, if it sounds like um, I'm a capitalist when I say that, it's because I am. Um, but I, I might have a, a slightly different definition of what a capitalist is than 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 some people do. Um, so it's been a it's been a rough year for publishers too. In May of this year, um, Embracer Group that owns companies like Gearbox, um, PlayOn, THQ, Nordic, um, whole long long list uh, of companies, Saber. Um, so. Embracer Group announced that a $2 billion deal um, had been canceled by at the last minute by the other party. Um, the immediate impact was that Embracer's stock dropped 43% in one day. And what seemed to be the blink of an eye, the stock price would drop from a high of 67.23 Swedish kroners to a low of 20.26 Swedish kroners shedding more than two-thirds of its value in a, in a very short period. No one could have been prepared for that. Um, if, you're a, if you're a grown-up and you've been in the business for a while and you see that happening um, to the stock of a, of a publishing company, you know that layoffs and divestitures are, um, are, are going to be inevitable. So, look... Um, this presentation, you know, it's 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 a third of my life. Um, it's going to be personal. So um, I know people at at Embracer. I know um, some of the higher ups there, and um, they are committed to making and preserving great games um, in very much the same the same spirit that Night Dive has. Um, when you're the head of a company that employs thousands of people. You take what actions you deem necessary for the continuity of the company as a whole. It sucks, but you do the best that you can. And for what it might be worth, um, the numbers are out because they're publicly traded. The CEO of, of Embracer receives a total compensation that is 93% less than the average for the industry. So, um, so there you are. Um, all right, so so we've we've talked about about game developers and we've talked about publishers, and I said that those were, were two of the four pillars. So the next one up is is gamers. Um, let's start off with some numbers. The current estimate of the number of gamers worldwide is about three billion. I I, I think we can go into how you define gamers, and and I don't want to I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of whether a mobile game is really a game, whether a web-based game is really a game. If you're playing it, it's a game. Um, so about half the gamers in the world are in Asia. Um, about 55% of all males um, consider themselves to be gamers. With such large numbers, if even a fraction of the gaming audience is toxic, and what that means is open to debate, um, that's still a lot of a lot of people. The uh, the ADL, the Anti Defamation League, publishes an annual report um, called "Hate Is No Game: Hate and Harassment on Online Games." 
So I'm quoting from the, uh, the 22, uh, 2022 version of it. An estimated 2.3 million teens were exposed to white supremacist ideology in multiplayer games like Roblox, World of Warcraft, Fortnite, Apex Legends, League of Legends, Madden NFL, Overwatch, and Call of Duty. I think, um, I think the title there that's probably most surprising to people is Roblox. Harassment um, based on identity continues to, to rise. Um, 34% of Jewish gamers, 31% of Latino gamers, and 30% of Muslim gamers reported being harassed for who they are. And if online hate isn't bad enough, there are, um, there are some significant real-world implications. On May 14th, 2022, a white supremacist extremist committed a mass murder at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, killing 10 black shoppers and injuring three others. In the logs of his messages on the social platform Discord, which I think we're all familiar with, um, the shooter wrote that a game on Roblox was the key vector in his radicalization. Um, Hate and harassment gaming deserves its own presentation, and I'm not an expert at that, but let's just say that social media platforms have given gamers and game creators the opportunity to meet in shared spaces for good or bad. Um, Gamergate began in 2014, and if you, uh, if you don't know what Gamergate was slash is, um, please look it up. It, it's really never ended. Um, in 2020, police received a call informing them of a bomb threat and ongoing hostage situation at Ubisoft's Montreal headquarters. The caller threatened to blow up the building unless a $2 million ransom was paid. The building was evacuated and searched. No bomb was found. As of uh, 2021, it's believed that the threat originated from a Rainbow Six Siege player who had been banned more than 80 times for cheating. Holy shit. Um, if you didn't know, if you haven't followed it, um, it was just recently a, a bit controversial. Um, after, after allowing work for home for a number of years, um, Ubisoft just asked everyone to report back to that, that same building. So um, I do not know any game developer, community manager, or executive um, with a visible social media presence who has not been harassed, threatened, or both. And uh, I got to tell you, at, at a certain point, you begin wonder if, if it's all worthwhile. Um. So, so, so that's that's the gamer side of things, um, and and I'll, I'll 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 try and touch base on it at the end, but but um, I don't know what the answer is. Um, do we rely on the owners of social media platforms to police? Um, good luck with that. Um, do we go into hiding? Do we just no longer, you know? As as uh, as an executive in the game industry, do I do I delete my accounts? Um, I I don't want to. Um, the thing is, though, that if you make it uncomfortable enough, people and businesses will leave. And that brings us to media. So you know all the negative things that we've talked about; they all apply to the media, and in particular to conventional journalists. Um, 
So layoffs are now endemic to the games media landscape and uh, the broader journalism field with many affected sites held together by a skeleton crew or operating with a masthead of newer writers. Um, places that have seen, you know, um, have seen layoffs, um, just about every media outlet. Uh, I'm going to talk about, about some of them, but um, so there are a number of factors impacting media and, and driving those layoffs. First is going to be mergers and acquisitions. Um, GameSpot, Giant Bomb, Metacritic were purchased by fandom. You buy companies because you think you can make them more profitable. There are two ways to make a company more profitable. Either you generate more revenue, which has become you know kind of difficult in, in the age of, of free media, or um, you reduce costs. And you reduce costs by um, reducing headcount. I hate those euphemisms. You reduce costs by firing people, by telling people they no longer have an income and um, good luck feeding your families. That is the cold, hard reality of downsizing. Um, I hate to raise the specter of AI, but um, Geo Media that uh, owns Kotaku is embracing AI to produce stories. It's absolutely a thing we want to do more of, says Merrill Brown, GEO's editorial director. Um, I don't know if you guys have um, have seen the uh, AI written um, obituary. Um, please don't let the AI write my obituary when I go, Jay. Um, but um, it was it was humorous if it wasn't talking about you know somebody's putting somebody's life in, in, into perspective. So. So then there's the question of, of how the entire sector is, is faring. Look, um, when I started in this business, when a new game came out, if you wanted to know if you should buy it or not, you picked up a magazine and you read the magazine, you know, read the magazine to see what their review was, right? Um, that magazine also contained ads. That's how you learned about the games. I mean, that was, that was how we knew things. Um, today, I think that, you know, certainly from a uh, perspective of, of what impacts sales numbers more, um, streamers are, are simply more effective. Um, you will, uh, you will, you will watch, um, you'll watch somebody play the game and that will, that will enable you to make your decision. I, I think that, I think that consumers have to know that there are laws and regulations, um, impacting how, journalists interact with game developers. So it's frowned upon my slipping five bucks under the table to get a higher review from, from my game, right? Well, it's frowned upon because that's not enough. Right. That's <laughs> all I got on me, Jay. You, you know that. Um, and, and, then, and then the other side to it is I don't think people realize that many streamers actually have contracts. Um, you know, that there are actually contracts that, that they sign to, to get early access, um, some of which, you know, notoriously have said you will not, you know, have, have no disparagement clauses. Um, uh, take your time writing the review. We already know you're giving it nine out of ten. Um, that's part of the contract. So um, I, I guess I guess that, that's that. And, and when we come to the streamers, they have their own issues. There's burnout. There is stalking. There is just constant toxicity, both from fans and streamers themselves, right? Um, 
uh, you know, people have 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 made entire careers by being outrageous or um, dare I say disrespectful. Yeah. Um, so you know the thing is the thing is and, and I'm going to use an analogy here. Um, I remember I remember a, a comment that that Pete Townsend of of the Who made um, after um, after watching Jimi Hendrix set his guitar on fire on stage. Um, Townsend said, well, well, that's great, but but how am I supposed to top that? Do I set myself on fire? Um, so you know the, the problem with with outrageous stunts is that is that tomorrow you have to do something even more outrageous and and that kind of pushes you to to extremism. So things aren't so good for for anybody. And um, now I get up to the part you know that I, I want to be be more interactive. Um, uh, in from 2001 to, to 2023, I watched my my industry, Revenues go up a mere five thousand percent. I've watched I've watched an industry that was that was niche that that you know that um, people really didn't understand what it meant to be be a game developer become mainstream. TV shows about developers, you know. Um, they understand that in, in the meantime, while we're making all kinds of money and while we are making great, great games, I, I, I started there, but let me reemphasize that um, despite all of these headwinds, our industry is still healthy and vibrant and we are doing what we're supposed to do, which is making games that are, are engrossing, that are immersive and that are most important of all fun. Um, we're still doing that, but it's just getting harder every day. So, so a couple of things that I, I wanted to say about about perspective and and about how things have changed and and hopefully what's um, what's to the good. First of all, um, the digital landscape. Jay, when we started working together, I, I want to say I want to say probably over ninety percent of of all games, maybe in the high nineties were sold retail when um, we started together i would say close to a hundred percent because i mean I, I mean certainly anything on a console was 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 bought on a disc or you know a cartridge yeah but we didn't start doing digital until steam launched in the ipad the ipad iphone whatever the fuck it was was that 2008 I think so but but let me go earlier than that um so in 2004 um Stardock launched. Um, remember, I, I had said we had our own digital platform that was originally called Drengen. Um, the Drengen is is one of the races in the Galactic Civilization series of games. Um, we changed the, the the name of it. Um, we changed it to TotalGaming.net, and we started oh. selling not just our own games, oh, um, but third party games. So that was two thousand four. And but you're was, still talking about a boxed game. You just no no, no 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 no. You got you got it. You got a key and you downloaded it. Um, you, you got a key and you downloaded it and, and put the key in and you were able to unlock it. Um, it was about the same time. You know, so we did, we did uh, 2004 TotalGaming.net. Um, that was about the same time that Steam started started selling. Was, okay, yeah. I was off. Steam started yeah. in 2003. So, yeah. yeah. 
So, so we were, I mean, again, 2003, Starnak was doing, but only our own games. 2004, we opened it up to third party. And um, just, um, just for historical basis, um, we did that because we were brilliant, um, but also because um, we had been screwed by a publisher and that was the only way we could get our money back. So, um, so, but digital, but, but, but it, digital was not just, just a platform. I mean, something radically changed because you no longer had to be concerned with how many games you could put up uh, on, on shelves and stores. I mean, the digital landscape was, was infinite and, and all of those really cool quirky games that, that we enjoy so much. Um, a lot of them would never have seen the light of light of day. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I'm not sure I'm, I'll, I'll name one. I'm not sure that uh, that Stardew Valley, for example, you know, phenomenal title. Um, I'm not sure that that would have ever appealed to the buyers at Walmart. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and the other thing for 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 indie publishers, um, if you don't know what the letters MDF meant, yes, um, MDF was marketing development funds. Um, picture, uh, <laughs> picture a guy out of, um, out of the Sopranos or, um, or, or Goodfellas, uh, coming to you and saying, um, you look like you got a nice game here. Um, it would be a pity if your game ended up on the bottom shelf where people only kick it. Um, if you'd like your game to be up on like eye level or, on an end cap, which was like the Holy grail. Um, if you want your game to be visible, then you have to pay us. It was a bribe. It was always a bribe. It's exactly what it was. And, and it was the, it was the game industry version of, of payola in the record industry. It was, it was pay to play, right? Um, digital changed all of that. Um, and 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 my hats off to Steam. That, by the way, was a competitor of mine. I mean, I ran I ran Impulse in the GameStop um, store, which were both Steam competitors. Um, and Steam opened that up, and and when they when they took off um, curation, yeah, removing curation meant that there was a whole lot of of shovelware on Steam. There was there was asset flips and all that stuff. But it also meant you know you take the good with the bad. It also meant that games from smaller indie publishers did not have to get greenlit by anybody. You put your game up there for, uh, you know, again, if it, if it's not my money, it's it's a nominal expense. What was it, Jay? Fifty bucks, a hundred bucks? I think it was a hundred. A so, hundred bucks, yeah. and 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 you could get your game up on Steam, and you could find out whether there was an audience for that, um, as opposed to having somebody that that, as I said, um, you know, might not even like games make the decision. That 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 impacted you. Let me tell you, um, there was a there was a title, and 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 I can't remember his name, but he was he was a, a wonderful gentleman, the, the lead developer of um, Space Pirates and Zombies, Spaz. Um, when we sent out the first royalty check to him, you know, I I knew how how much he needed the money, so I I called him up. Um, and I, I let him know that the, the check was being sent, you know, next day, you know, courier over to him. And his response was, oh, good. I don't have to eat ketchup sandwiches anymore. <laughs> so 
you know, I, I, I mean, digital changed changed all of that. Um, so I, I don't want to I don't want to say everything is terrible because that's still with us. And the other thing, and I, I just want to open up, and I don't think we we really know where it's going to go yet. Um, but open source, um, and and I'm not even saying open source software. I, I mean by that, you know, engines like. Godot or, or, or G developed. There, there are others out there. I'm, I'm not necessarily an advocate for, for any specific engine, but um, the concept I think is really important. Um, the idea that engines and tools um, are readily available for anyone that wants to make a game. Um, the other thing that I'll tell you, and uh, I'm trying to find a, a bright spot in, a, in an otherwise um, dark landscape, a lot of the developers that are being laid off now are going to be skittish um, to go back to work to accept uh, another job um, for, you know, mega corporation. Um, Try Optimum. That's the uh, that's the corporation in uh, in System Shock. Um, there are going to be a lot of people that 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 aren't that are afraid to do that, to, to, to trust that. So I think you're going to see um, a lot of new indie studios coming up on the horizon. And uh, that's that's really it. Um, that's that's all I've got. Um, I um, I did write up my my notes on this, and and Jay, um, I'll I'll be happy to make them available. I have a because I'm a biz dev guy. There are a lot of statistics and a lot of citations, and God help me, I footnoted my notes. But um, uh, I just wanted to remember where I found things. Um, uh, if anybody, if anybody in the audience uh, is is interested, I'll be more than happy to send them a, a copy of that. That's um, awesome, Jake. Can, can we open it up for questions, comments? Yeah, because I've got a few. Please. Um, so, and I'm playing devil's advocate. How how much of this turnover? Because you and I have seen this turnover for years and years and years and years and years. How much of this is the normal cycle that we normally do and how much of this is just new shit brought on because of greed i i don't think it's necessarily because of of greed i think that what we have just gone through we are still going through is a period of of mergers and acquisitions and these come up every once in a while sometimes because let's right i mean clearly the the big one is um, I, I guess the the British agency um, has just given the green light to to, to the um, to the Activision acquisition. I, they said they had a couple of more questions. Um, everyone, everyone, if you're interested in gaming, should should read an article about that because there's there's interesting stuff on that. Um, the deal that was made with the UK is not just between Microsoft and Activision, but it also involves Ubisoft. I thought that was really interesting on, on the cloud. Really? Yeah, you, yeah, take a look at that. It's it's it, it's more interesting. There's, there's there's a lot of that, but but Embracer went on 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 a shopping spree, and they were not the only ones. There were there were a number of other companies that were going through acquisitions. Part of it, part of it happened for 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 some reasons. I mean, first of all, COVID was was a huge windfall for the gaming industry, yes, right? Yes, it was. Um, uh, we were able to adapt to work from home more easily than 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 other industries. Um, Night Dive has has always been and always will be a completely distributed company. Um, uh, you know, we range from from um, Wellington, New Zealand. Um, we've got a couple of developers down there up to um, north of Stockholm in Sweden. 
So, you know, we, we pretty much span at least this half of, of, of the globe. Um, developers in, in the UK and the United States and Canada, and they scurry around, you know, so I, it's hard for me to keep track of them. But, but, but that's the way we've always been. To, but, but COVID created, the game industry was booming. And because, because of, of the, the things that, that, you know, that, that COVID was limiting, there was a lot of easy capital. Right, um, the the interest rates were you know for, for, were, were well below one percent, which means if you borrow money that will will yield you more than one percent, you know you're you're making money on that. So there was there was easy capital, and um, and so it was easy to go out and and acquire companies. You could borrow money to to make these acquisitions with a sense that your company is going to be more profitable, pay back the loan, and and keep the other profits going forward. Um, so we, we went through this period. The thing is that that at the end of that time, as interest rates go up, and if anybody in the audience is paying a mortgage, you know that interest rates have really gone up, um, that that there, there comes a time that you have to pay, right? And, and so when you see that, um, the questions that, that come up are, how can you trim off, how can you trim off, reduce some of the costs, and what other opportunities are there? Um, so, you know, those, those are real issues. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily greed, Jay. I think like most things in, in human nature, when you, when you really ask the question, why did this happen? The answer comes to, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating. It, it is, it is, and 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 I'm going to emphasize again. You know, I'm 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 corporate. I'm I'm a director. Um, I, I I'm very aware that 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 you know the term layoff, the euphemism layoff. I mean, you're taking away somebody's livelihood. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and we've we've done it, and and you know, and, and it's not it's not an enjoyable process. It's yeah. not. Uh, on the other hand, it is not in me to say this hurts me more than it hurts you because no, it really does hurt yes. you more than because uh, yeah. I'm going to work on Monday and you're not. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so there's that. Um, the the other thing that 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 I, I kind of skipped over uh, at the beginning, something that I want to say is is um, again, my my title is director of business development. I don't like to say that I make games because I, I feel like if I if I say that, um, it diminishes the work that my developers, my artists, my sound people um, do on that. What, what, I, what I prefer to say is, is I make the deals that make the games. Um, I think that that's, that's pretty accurate for me. Um, that said, that said, I, um, I work every day with, with my developers. Um, I, I, I manage a team, you know, Nightdive still operates, you know, small and nimble. We operate as a small company and I don't, I don't want to give that up. I mean, that was really important to me. Um, but most C-level executives are very much disconnected from the process, mm -hmm. right? In, in the old days, um, you didn't get to be president of Toyota unless you had spent some time working on the line. In, in America, you, you become you know, you get the equivalent by by getting your MBA. Yeah, I got one of those too. But but you're removed from the process of creation, and I think that that creates. I think that that creates. You're not firing Joe, who's who's you know whose sick wife you know about. You're firing employee 
fifty-seven eighteen. Yeah. You know, and I and I think that 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 that's just a problem of growth. All right, we've got questions coming in, and so first one up. So aside from Steam, or even you know, there with all these options out there, which platform do you recommend the most for a first-time game developer to sell a game? So um, I would probably go to uh, to itch.io. Um, that would probably be the the first place that I would look. Um, I would would also go to Steam. Um, uh, there's no question that 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 I would go to Steam, but but on every platform, regardless, it's it's more challenging on Steam than it is on on some smaller ones. But on every platform, you need to ask yourself the question: How will people discover my game? Because if before you release your game, you have built up a community, oh my God, you have this free thing called Discord. You can, you know, you can communicate with, with people on, um, you know, a variety of different platforms that didn't exist in, in 2001, um, you know, when, when I started in this business. But if you build up your community and your community is enthusiastic about your game, if you've done the right steps leading up to it, um, it doesn't matter what platform your game is on. People are going to are going to follow you. If 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 you are looking for a platform um, that that reaches, you know, one of the places I encourage people to not look past is good old games is GOG.com. Um, they've been really good to me. And and one of the differences is, you know, and again, Night Dive has, has been successful and and we've worked with them for for over a decade. Um, but they help promote my games which um, they do a really good job of that. So I'll, I'll just leave that there. There are, it's like we say a lot of times, there's a lot more options out there that people realize. Too many times they're just like, oh, well, Steam's the only place, but it's not at all. Um, will the community and industry improve externally or will it have to come from within? So part of the problems of, of our industry and um, and night dive is, is a good example of it um, is that we we, we cross borders um, there are, are are things that are being done so so like if you if you lay off a developer in um, in, in France in Germany in Luxembourg if you lay you know if anybody in the in the um, EU you have different rules about how you have to handle that layoff than if you do, if you lay them off in the United States where we could just, you know, kick your ass out the door. Um, there, there are laws that, that impact, um, that impact gaming. Um, that said, I, um, I believe that, that all meaningful change um, has to be, has to be driven internally. It may be external forces that, that bring everyone to the table. Um, but but we've got to make up our mind on our own. And and some of the problems, you know, some of the industry problems, I I don't know how we fix fix gamer toxicity. I, I've I've thought about it a lot. Um I, I don't know how we how we deal with that, but um let me just throw something out to you. And and um the devil is always in the details. Um let's take that that uh, guy that's accused of uh, of phoning in the bomb threat. Um, by the way, when, when I left off my research, um, they were having a heck of a time, again, because of internationality, because he was a French citizen yeah. where the crime took place in, 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 in Montreal and in Canada. And so, I mean, it required extradition. But 
but here's the thing. Um, let's say that um, there was a consortium of, of the biggest game companies. And when we identified an individual who was um, who had toxic behavior, who was being thrown off, you know, not just for 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 cheating, but um, for what they were saying, uh, what they were saying in community spaces uh, for harassment, for you know, um, that person's name went on a blacklist, and they weren't just banned from one game; they were banned from all the games. Um, or a significant number of games. Um, if if a, if a ban, you know, carried out saying, "Hey, you know, we've identified you. You have you you have fallen within, you know, this this group, um, and we just don't want you to play anymore. Um, you know, take six months off and, and get your stuff together." Um, I think that that would be be effective. But how so, can we get there when we've got people who are still in a game after they've been banned? 80 times from one game. So, you know, that that's where you get into um, what is what is the price of freedom? Um, do we ban VPNs? Um, do we do we make those illegal? I mean, you know, uh, well, we, we've banned him based on IP address. Yeah, but but, you know, three dollars a month and I can change my IP address to whatever I want. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that that's the issue. But but there's two questions there, Jay. One is, one is, are we doing the right thing? And the answer is we're not. And then the other question is, is, is what we are doing, are, are we, are we doing it effectively? And the answer there is, is not, is, is no, we're not also. So I'm, I'm just saying that I'm breaking it into two parts. Yeah, we need to be, we need to, we need to, to ban people like that, but we also need a way to make that ban stick. And I, I think that that has to be accomplished by people working together. I, I agree. And at the same time, I feel confident that if they know that this person has been banned 80 times, then they have a way of figuring out who the he is. That's just, it's, that's what gets me. It's like the tools are there. It's like Activision coming out. What was it? Two weeks ago going, Hey, now we have a tool to fight, you know, racist people in call of duty. And I'm like, where the fuck was that 10 years ago? Well, well, well. Let me let me step back on that um, and say that, that that's not actually what Activision said. Oh, what well, Activision, okay. what Activision said, what Activision said is we're taking the human element out of banning people for racist speech, and we're going to let AI determine it. So, um, I, I, let let let's get down to to brass tacks. Um, you know, even in, in the pre Elon period and in the post Elon period. There has always been a question of how many bots are on. What's the name of that platform this week? Uh, X. X Y Z. I said the other day, if if I move over to Blue Sky, do I refer to my former platform as my X? Anyway, um, uh, uh, why are we so ineffective at policing bots when when you know we clearly have the technology there? I mean, if you remember Elon's early reports of. Well, we know how many bots there are here. Well, if we can count them, how come we're not banning them? And the reason is because gaming, there's there's a, a, a correlation between revenue on any platform and um, daily average users. Daily, you know, Dow and Mao, right? Daily average users and monthly average users. So when you get rid of 250,000 bots one fine day, that's 250,000 less instances of your being able to say, 
I showed your ads to a bot. Yeah. But I'm going to charge you for showing your ad to the yes. bot. So, so, you know, so when you look at, 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 at player counts also at, at, you know, at everyone wants to have the most popular game. So, so the question Jay is how much are you willing to give up in revenue to have a clean gaming environment? And that's a tough question. Jay, I'm going to remind you about, 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 about Larry Cooperman, Larry Night Dives. Um, my, my take on the, on the changing value of money. Um, you think money always has the same value, but, but no, no, that's not true at all. Because there's, there's your money, Jay, and, and I don't care about that. Yes. And then there's my money, and I'll kill you if you start messing with my dollars and dimes. So I mean that that is a, a, a real publisher publisher perspective. Um, the thing is the thing is, and I, I hate to say this, is that um, things may even need to get worse before we take action and they start getting better. Well, I think obviously they do because no th- no action has been taken now, or at least not any effective action, and it sucks. But I mean, I really thought when. That random kid got killed in a swatting accident here in the U.S. Yep. That something substantial would come out of that. Fuck no. They sent that. They sent the kid to jail for like six years or something like that. Yeah. It was like that should have been a, a wake up call. A wake up. Yes. Yeah. And it's like you said with the with the stuff. It's like there's too many jurisdictions. You he phoned in a, a bomb threat to Montreal from you know France. It's like. I don't know. It, it absolutely. So, 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 so one thing, one thing, Jay, I have those frustrations and I've, and I've, and I've covered them and I've talked about it, but, but as we get towards the conclusion of this, I, I do want to be upbeat and say, you know, let's, let's, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? No. There's a lot of cool stuff. You know, there's, there's still a lot of cool stuff. I mean, the, the primary thing that, that, that I want people to take away from this call is, is, is this, this, this presentation is that there are a lot of headwinds. There are a lot of problems, and we should be working on fixing those. But despite those problems, this industry has busted its butt to make great games and to continue at, at, at a pace. People that listen to me have frequently heard me say that we make games despite the gamers sometimes, you know, because... All right, we got two more from Sean on YouTube. Do you see the studio layoffs and closures resulting in a new small studio renaissance or a prolonged downturn because of people leaving the industry for good? I, I know people that have been laid off. So I, I won't say that I know thousands of them, but I know dozens of them. And um, the people that I know are are looking for new jobs. Um, within the industry. Um, and, and again, um, I know, I know there are a lot of new studios that are spring up more than that. There are people um, who have gone quiet, which is usually an indication of, of a new project. I am hopeful that we will see, um, we will see many new studios. And that that's also why I went out of my way to point out about, about open source. Um, I also think, I also think that, that more people will continue um, in, into the industry that, that the barriers are, are getting even lower. Historically, I have seen when this happens, we get more indie studios. Yeah. And it, it really comes down to, I think, 
how long someone has been in it because the, the industry stat slash joke is that if you've done this for five years you're a veteran of the industry and then there's people like you and i and i wonder what name tag we get other than crazy and spiteful and that's why we're still here but if someone st the way i translate that is if someone stays in this industry for five years they love this industry and we all know once you love this industry no matter how many times it kicks you in the balls you keep standing there taking it because we're, we're both stupid and we're both stupid and addicted but the industry yes. also gives a lot um Things that you're going to find in the gaming industry, we have some of the best people in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that without qualification. Um, uh, I love the people that I work with. I, I, I truly, truly, truly mean that. There's there's a large age difference. I um, I, I view them as as being you know the closest thing to to uh, another generation of my children. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned, um, as, as my career is, is beginning to wind down, not ending, but beginning to wind down. I'm very con concerned with, with what I I'm leaving behind. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've been really lucky to be in a position where I get to, um, to teach and to, and to share what I know with people. So, so there's that, um, there's a lot of good stuff here and, and let's not let, let's not paint a picture that it, that it's all dark and, and black. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I do. We we do get wrapped up in the pessimism from time to time and the cynicism, but there there's a reason when we all get together at Gamescom or GDC or whatever. There's a whole shitload of hugs that are going yeah. on because we do. I mean, this is these is our our peers. We love working with these people. I I have even as a consultant for for years had clients that. From a business case, I should have never been working with. Yeah. But I love working with them. And, and that's why we end up doing it. So on that note of friends in the industry, our last question is from a friend in the industry, Tess. Oh. As mentioned, we have seen companies and studios laying off their employees after game launch. How do you think the possibility of the games industry union, and we're both smiling already, of the games industry unionizing will protect the game layoffs? God, Tess, thank you so much for that question. That that that's absolutely the the, the perfect question at this time. I I think that there are going to be challenges um, to to unionization. Um, I want to give a shout out, even though I previously mentioned that that I'm a I'm a capitalist at heart to to places like GWU, the the Game Workers Union. Um, challenges are that you know that that a lot of these companies are multinational. And typically unions have had their focus in, in their nation of origin. So there are American unions, there are French unions, um, but it's, it's, it's more challenging to have international unions because they have to accommodate to a variety of laws. That, say, that said, I think, um, I think from, I think it is, it is our best path forward. Um, I will also say that um, I think that that's, that's probably the, the only solution to it, because as we continue to negotiate our contracts, um, uh, our contracts as individuals, we, we give up leverage. And I think the union is the best way of restoring that. Um, I'm, I'm really optimistic that um, that the 10 years from now, um, this will be a, a largely unionized industry. The thing that I always like to point out when this question comes up is there are industry unions already most of which are in europe 
but the fact that we are starting to get at least some here in the U.S. is is a good thing. So there are both at the country level, you know, overseas and at the union level overseas, there are a lot of these protections. It's like I've got friends that, that own companies in Europe and I'm like, they're like, well, this employee's not working. I'm like, well, why don't you just get rid of them? They're like, well, because that takes three, six, nine months to do that and a shit ton of paperwork. It's not like here where you can just, and I say here even more so because I'm in North Carolina, which is a right to work state. I can fire you because I didn't like your hairdo and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's that's how bad it is here. Coming from Michigan, right to work is is one of my my favorite euphemisms. Yes, because it's not. It's, like, it's, more like, um, it's more like right to fire. What does what what right to work mean? The exact opposite of what it says. Yes. Um, wasn't that clear? Exactly. Right. Um, there are unions out there that are doing wonderful work there, but it's not as prevalent here in the U.S. yet. And I, I'm with Larry as as much as I, you know, gripe and moan about some of these companies. It is, that unionization is. If my theory is, if you are so upset that your people are unionizing, then you know you've done something wrong, at somewhere along the lines, and you just don't want to change it because the whole we can't make the you know if if mcdonald's unionizes a big mac's gonna be twenty dollars well no because no. we go to germany where mcdonald's is unionized and yes. it's not you know and i will say i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna tangent the hell out of this all of my trips to europe if i go to a mcdonald's and i typically end up going at least once because i just need something quick the service in a European McDonald's is so much fucking faster than it is here. It's like mind-numbingly more efficient. And Jay, that, that, Jay, it's because they walk in, see you, and say, let's get the American out of here as fast as we can. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you see the fat old American? Give him his food and get him the fuck out of here right now. Give him somebody's order. He doesn't care. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Larry... Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we, we talked briefly about Dark Skies. This is your chance. What else do you want to plug? Uh, Dark Forces. But, Dark um, Forces. No, no. I, I'm, good with, uh, I'm, I'm good with our plugs. Um, the videos for uh, Dark Forces and for Turok 3, Turok, um, Rise of the Triad coming to console um, very quickly. And, um, and next one up will be Turok 3, the capstone to our Turok trilogy. Um, the most fun I've had in a series of games. Awesome. Jay, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, Indy, thank you so much for having me uh, as a guest. And uh, and take care, guys. See you at the next show. Well, that's next week. And I just checked the stats, and it is our biggest, most attended show in like three years. So yes, that's doing, awesome. We're doing all right. Now, with that being said, there's still more room, right? Yes, so so if you haven't signed up, too. yes, yeah, if you haven't signed up, you better do it real quick. So I, I guess I'll I'll outro on that, right? So next week it's Indie Game Business Sessions, powered by Tripwire Presents, and that's Tuesday and Wednesday, September 26th and 27th. It's also for networking. You can sign up. You can talk to a publisher. You can talk to a bunch of different folks on there. Also. Uh, when you do that, go to IndieGame.Business and you can sign up for our newsletter. And that also gives you a list of over 700 publishers. Ooh, I've got an addition to that. Uh, we are in the final stages of wrapping up our very first investor list. Yeah. So in the next coming weeks, you will also be able to get 
I don't know the final count on how many of them, but we have spent several months uh, researching, verifying investors in the industry. And so that list is going to be released soon as well. And that list is $599. Oh, wait, no, it's free. <laughs> it's absolutely free. That Jeez, guys, I, I hate it when you use a four-letter word like free. <laughs> but um, hey, I, on, on, a, on a final note, I just want to thank you, both of you, for all the time and the effort that you put in to doing activities, as you've just mentioned, that, that really lift up the entire industry. So thank you. Thank you, Larry. Yeah. Also, okay, the other stuff. Check out our merch. You, if you see how he's got that cool indie game business logo, you can get merch and stuff with that indie game business logos, uh, all kinds of merch. Uh, that is at indie game or wait, let's see, streamlabs.com. Actually, I have a little banner for it right here, right there. If you look at that, streamlabs.com, it's on our link tree. Yeah, it's on our link tree. You can also look at our link tree, and of course, join the Discord. That's where all the magic happens. It uh, discord.gg. Slash indie game business. That's it. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Jay. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.